1: and welcome to the second episode of the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and I am joined as always by my co-host Max Carlin.
0: What's up Ben, how are you?
1: I'm doing well and we have a very special guest today. We have Jackson Frank of The Athletic, Gonzaga Bulletin, other places. Jackson, how are you doing today?
2: A very special guest. I'm honored to, to get that label. I'm doing well. How are you guys today?
1: I'm doing pretty well, and this episode is actually sponsored by Simply Safe with home security. There's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune, or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award, it's award-winning protection, two-time winner of CNET Editors' Choice Award. All right, so Max, what are we going to talk about on today's episode?
0: Okay, so. I think um you know, a big board is not it's not just a ranking of the expected values of every prospect in a class you know going out to 30 60 100 whatever it might be uh, there's some sort of weighting that you have to you know increase for for these higher end outcomes because we're talking about basketball a sport where where you have five guys on the court at a time and and one player is just so important for the outcome of games So you, you have to add weight to those, those high end outcomes, even if they are probabilistically unlikely. Um, but in the case of the 2020 class, like these are just guys that don't have realistic high end outcomes. And the few that do, I think have high end outcomes. It's, it's just, it seems really unlikely that they hit them. Um, so I think what you're seeing with some people, uh, their their philosophies are just to really eschew those, those like chasing those high end outcomes and, uh, quote-unquote, settle for, for safer prospects. Um, and I think a couple guys that are, that are near the top for, for everyone, regardless of, of their philosophy, would be Killian Hayes, who we talked about in, in depth in episode one, and Onyeka Kongwu uh, center from USC. Uh, so that's why I think it's, it's a good time to talk about this with Jackson on, because Jackson, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you have Killian Hayes ranked number one currently, and Onyeka Kongwu ranked number two.
2: Yeah, that's, that's correct. And then my first tier is joined by Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards.
0: Uh huh. So I guess the 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 question, you know, for this discussion is when is it no longer worthwhile to gamble on these these improbable high end outcomes? And in a draft as weak as this one, uh uh, like in terms of those high end outcomes, are you willing to just to just punt on on the chance at getting a franchise player? That you know, one of the, the like the Knicks, for example, just absolutely need like, getting Killian Hayes as a a solid plus starting point guard is not going to change their fortunes. But if Lamelo Ball or Anthony Edwards hits a ninety fifth percentile outcome, you know that's changing the the trajectory of your franchise.
2: Yeah, I, I think this really is one of those drafts where you have to assess how likely and realistic that a hundredth percentile outcome or that that top 10, top 12 player outcome is. And for me, the reason I have Okongwu and, and Hayes higher than LaMelo and Anthony Edwards is because I don't I don't buy them reaching that type of level where you can just, you can you can build an entire team around them and just fill the pieces and fill the gaps there. Um, and, and one of the things that I think was brought up maybe starting maybe a ago or so is you if you're the draft number one, you're giving that player a lot of money. And if you don't, and if the likelihood of them being a top 12, top 15 franchise player isn't as high in a normal draft, then that's a pretty risky game. We're not talking about a thing like, you know, look at last year where Kevin Porter Jr. People are like, well, if you take him 10th or 12th or whatever, he's worth that star outcome. Whereas if you're banking on Anthony Edwards, who I think is a better prospect, but you're taking him in second or third. That's a lot more money you're investing with the chance that he's a guy who is not much of a positive impact on your team through three or four years. And then you've thrown... 35 45 million dollars down the drain to an extent um, and so i think everyone's kind of philosophy on that differs but i skew toward the side of not believing that a guy like Lamelo or a guy like anthony edwards is capable of quite reaching the level of outcome you need to given the financial investment in, the, in that that top pick so i'd rather bank on a guy who i know can is scalable to an extent is going to be a pretty dang good NBA player even if he's not a top or top, no, sorry, not top thirty. Even if he kind of levels out of the top twenty-five, top thirty guy rather than top ten or twelve.
0: Yeah. So if you, I mean, if you will indulge me on this on a hypothetical, if you were a GM who who has really ironclad uh, job security, like a, a Danny Ainge or an RCB, well, I guess RC has been reassigned. But uh, um, if you're if you're one of those few guys that that doesn't have to worry about uh his job would you be more uh would you embrace risk more readily in this class like would you would you shoot for a for a uh, a lamello or edwards or would you just cut you know cut your losses and, and take one of these guys who who projects to be a bit safer
2: yeah i think that's that's a completely a fair point um with guys like that i if you have the job security and the public relation security among fans then yeah i think it's worth it to have to go for that risk. And that's why I have Lamelo and Anthony Edwards still not first here, because I can't deny that they have higher end outcomes at their peak than, than Killian A's or Ineco Okongwu. Um, but the, the floor they're starting at is so much lower that the road they have to climb. Um, even if it's a, even if that road is longer and has a higher outcome just feels more improbable. So, but I would agree that, yeah, I think if you've kind of got that, that safety net um, from your owner and the, and the fans and whatnot, and you have a history of success, like the Spurs, and Celtics do. Um, and obviously, those are just hypothetical guys, but um, generally speaking, if you have if you have job security, you because you've put together a consistent winner for a long time in some capacity, so um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a hypothetical where, yeah, I would lean toward Limbo and Anthony Edwards over, over the safer options. Um, and like I said, that's why I have those guys in the first tier because they're still guys that I would, I can see the argument for at number one. There's just marginal differences that I prefer the other guys a little higher. Um, but, like, but, I mean, there's still three and a half months until the draft. I could see a guy called like Anthony Rising. I could still see LaMelo being number one, Anthony Edwards being number one. So by no means am I uh, entirely shut off from, from other guys, kind of reaching number one. It's just kind of where I'm at at this point in my, my evaluation of this class.
1: Yeah, and there are quite a few people who will make the argument against um, Onyeka Kongu just that a big in this this modern NBA has to be a certain level of special to be worth that high of a pick, uh, regardless of class. I mean, people will make that argument. So what are your thoughts on that? Is Onyeka Kongu special enough to meet those requirements? And d- does it matter? Like in in a class like this, is it is it okay to take a big who might not have that star level impact of a Jokic or a Talens or something like that? But a big who's likely going to be a very good NBA player.
2: Yeah. I think it goes back to what we've talked about in this little segment is that it doesn't really matter to me because there's no one I feel like I'm missing out on entirely. That's going to be a surefire, especially guy. There's no one, you know, there's not a, there's not a an guard prospect that I'm missing out on. That's just been uber productive and has the athletic thresholds. Uh, and I'm missing out on and what I think when I so I, I wrote this scouting report on Congo a week or two ago. And the thing that I kind of, came to realize is he is a pretty scalable guy on both ends, which I, which I love. Um, obviously he's not some high-level shooting big, but uh, I do have confidence in him be developing into somewhat of a credible pick-and-pop guy. He's already a dominant finisher in the pick-and-rolls. Defensively, you can run a hard hedge with him, you can drop back, um, you can have him trap because he's so mobile and he can recover on those types of things. Um, we've seen in recent weeks him be a playmaker in the, the passing lanes. I think he's averaging over one steal a game, which is really impressive for a guy who plays a lot of center and has a lot of interior defensive responsibilities. Um, so for me, I, I just feel confident in both the talent and the way you can use him on both ends. To the point that uh, I'm I don't worry too much about passing on someone uh, who could be special because I don't think the likelihood of a special player being taken ahead of him in my hypothetical board really exists that
1: that much. Yeah, and Onyeka is like a very dominant offensive center at this level and has quite a bit of quite a bit of projection that he can carry some of that over to the next level I mean he's just incredible on the interior with his with his touch and his strength just to move guys I think he has he has he has he has like the most dunk set of any freshman this year he's he's just been so dominant on the roll and on lobs too and then yeah like, like he's shooting mid 70s from the free throw line seems like a projectable enough spot up pick and pop shooter like you said I mean it just—I I think the thing with his offensive upside is where's the passing, and there's there's definitely been moments where he's had been good there, and I think he's gotten better over the season at least a little bit. I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, offensively, it's just like without maybe a handle or like pull-up shooting just to reach the the level of like the highest impact big. Some um, is the offensive ceiling capped there. I mean,
2: yeah, I think to an extent, if he's not going to be someone who you can completely funnel offensive offensive game plan through I think the language I used in my scouting report was kind of like a secondary offensive hub um, he's not a guy you want to rely on to run your entire offense through um, I, I would say his offense or his passing has improved a little bit uh, we've had a couple of short roll type things I think there was one against Utah a couple weeks back there was one against Arizona maybe a month ago or so um, but for the most part he can be kind of get the blinders on and then he has that weak side skip pass down but it feels like to me one of the it's a premeditated play. Like he, someone has told him that if they double that side will be open. And a lot of times that's the pass he's making. It's a result in some turnovers at times. Um, but I think the key for him there is if he can if he can moderately carry over the post up dominance. He's going to command a lot of gravity in, in there. And he's he's gotten better and more willing to just the simple kick out passes. So if um, you can load up a strong side shooter to make the entry pass and they double. Uh, he should be pretty good there. I've liked that improvement specifically. Um, but generally speaking, I do understand the kind of the pushback you're offering. I think it's valid. Again, I just don't see a a lot of guards in this class that even I could say I can run offense. Through. You know, a guy like Cole Anthony, great pull-up shooter, but the burst it just isn't there to get to the rim, and he struggled so much finishing. Granted, some of that is team context-dependent, but um, he doesn't have the rim pressure, and he's also been a, a shaky decision-maker at times this year. Um, you look at like Kyra Lewis, who probably doesn't quite have the pull-up shooting equity um, given his speed to really command gravity at the rim and from three because teams are going to load off him a little bit and let him let him shoot at times. Um, and then Killian Hayes similarly has improved his burst and has changed direction this year as the two of you talked about last week on your pod, but again, just probably not quite an insane pull-up shooter like a Harden or a Steph or a Dame, and Obviously, those are really high marks you are trying to get to, but those are kind of maybe three of the guards that you can really run an offense through and found in a high level offense around given uh, kind of league average talent around those guys.
0: Yeah. The thing that I wonder about that I think we're kind of dancing around is um, it's something that we talked about last week, how, how intelligence and decision-making are such foundational elements for a, for a star or really any player. Um, and it was something I mentioned with, uh, with respect to Isaiah Stewart, but I think it applies to Onyeka that I wonder about his general basketball intelligence level. Like when well, he does have these flash plays, like you mentioned, he he'll make these anticipatory defensive plays. There was one in, in a recent game, I forget which one it was, but he he um he got a jump on a pass and then led the break, and it was incredible and like fantastic anticipation. Um, but he's he does make bad decisions still defensively and very much so offensively and i think that was the case in in high school and aau too so i'm i think he's like fine in this department but from a modern big especially offensively you need snappy decisions you need them on the move you like i I feel like he's always been a better decision maker when when he's in the post um or when he's facing up and he can see everything in front of him. But even then it's been pretty questionable. He doesn't move the ball fast enough out of doubles. So I just, I wonder about, I guess, uh, really achieving high end outcomes if he's not like pretty special uh, from the intelligence standpoint, I worry that he's, that he covers a bit with physical tools just because he is, he's so special getting off the ground incredibly quickly. He's pretty long. Uh, He's an incredible mover. Uh, He's got great footwork like, all of these things I I worry do cover a bit for for a guy who who maybe isn't up to the top level uh, intellectually.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I, oh, you go Ben. Sorry. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, um, last week Max and I uh, piggybacking off that point talked about. Talking about pass to upside in this class, uh, we made the point of, is it more likely for Denny to develop a pull-up or for Anthony Edwards to reign in his decision-making? And I think that's something to consider. When you're thinking about drafting Onyeka Kongwu in the top five or two or three or whatever, is, is it, it seems like we kind of know what Onyeka Okongwu is going to look like. Um, at least to some, at least to some, to some extent. Um, most of his most of his um upside comes from just degree levels of of goodness of of shooting, of passing, things like that. But so, is it? What is the likelihood of that compared to the likelihood of say, like I said, Anthony Edwards um reigning in his decision making or Lamelo Ball uh, greatly improving greatly improving his strength? I mean, and how high does that likelihood have to be? Um, or I guess how low does it have to be to, Really avoid those guys instead of taking, instead of taking a guy like Onyeka Okongwu because I mean I think it definitely does depend on team. Like we said, I mean like like a team like the Pistons, I would say I'm, there's really like if you think there's any likelihood of a guy like Lomelo or Anthony Edwards hitting that high high end outcome, I don't think it's worth taking a guy who's not going to hit like Onyeka. But like it's all about weighing weighing how likely that that um that upside really is.
2: Yeah, I, so I think. Max talked about kind of him being a snappy decision maker out of the post. I would say I've been encouraged since kind of the start of the new year, maybe or maybe the first game I saw him improve against those doubles, I thought was the Oregon State game in Corvallis and maybe January, or early February. Um, so I have seen improvements there, which gives me some hope. Uh, and then also I, I think the post struggles I am less concerned about because I think most of his individual creation upside will come from face-ups if he does hit his offensive upside because he is... He doesn't have a great, great upper body in terms of strength, and he is six nine as a center. Um, I think he'll be kind of a post-up guy at times, but I would buy most of his self-creation working from those elbows and kind of the baseline and attacking face-ups like that. So I, I, I understand the criticism, and I would say, in general, the IQ worry is probably my biggest concern, even more than the size, I think, his quick leaping is going to be able to compensate for some of the size deficiencies there and lower body strength as well. Um, but similarly, if we're talking about decision-making, I mean he has a lot better decision-making than even Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards, obviously, more talent, more scoring upside. So I think if we're weighing that at least, I think Anthony Edwards has a longer way to go in terms of being an offensive perimeter centerpiece decision-making-wise than Okongu do does. And I buy him more as a scalable player, as a pick-and-roll guy, you know, doing his thing defensively with his athletic tools and kind of innings on that end. Um, so I understand the criticisms. I just think that... You know, the The guy that we're kind of the guy that I know, Max, you really like Edwards and Ben. Obviously, you're fairly high on him as well. I just struggle to. I've seen so many boneheaded plays as an offensive centerpiece for me to really buy into that if we're talking about decision making and kind of general uh, IQ as an offensive uh, hub, I guess.
1: Yeah, I definitely mean, go, go, yeah. I mean,
0: oh, go. Go, yeah, I mean I'll, I'll defend Edwards a little bit. I think the fruit is just it hangs very low for him uh because i like I, I i don't entirely view him as an offensive centerpiece i think that you do want someone else running the show uh alongside him uh and then you can really unlock him as a scorer off the ball and, and he'll play on the ball some but but i think the fruit is really low-hanging for him as a creator just because his scoring gravity is immense and you see it on occasion when he just decides to actually capitalize on the fact that you know, everyone on the opposing team locks in on him. That he, it's just like strong side kickouts and guys are wide open. It's so easy. Um So that's why I think that for Ant to create, it's just a much lower bar. Like it's so, so easy for him. Whereas Yaka, I think it'll be a little tougher.
1: Yeah. And I think Anthony Edwards scalability does get kind of underrated because he like the one thing that he's consistently done well this, this year, when we talked about it last week is that he is quite good off the ball. I mean, Besides just timing his cuts and using his has, using his athleticism to get behind the defense and score when he's there, he's quite good attacking off the catch. And I think that's where his passing might be at its best too because wa- I recently just watched the Florida game from last night and he attacked off the ball quite a bit in that game and the passing was really good there. I mean, he had a play where he – where he, I think he had multiple plays where he maybe would – help would step up because you got to step up when Anthony Edwards is running at you and he'll drop it off. Uh, with a bounce pass or something like that. And he had one play where he like he just blew by Keontae Johnson and had a huge um, one-handed dunk. So, I mean, believe, believing in the spot-up shooting, which he seems like he's going to shoot spot-ups at this point, I mean, the free throw percentage is good enough, and the volume is certainly there. It seems like he's going to be te- more than tenable there. I mean, he's going to be a guy who, assuming he's willing to, he can definitely play off the ball and scale a little better if he's not that high-end primary guy that, his, his physical tool suggests he definitely could be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd point to the South Carolina game uh, that, that he just played where he was creating space for himself off the ball in a, in a way that's very unique because uh, he's such a good cutter. It's the threat of this cut that guys are terrified of him like sneaking back door and he's so powerful that he just plants and you're totally lost. And then he's open on the perimeter for a jumper to attack when you're, when you're scrambling back. Um, so I, I mean, I just I love his potential as a as a guy to to score while playing off the ball. I mean, should should we bring this back to um, to a Kongwu though? Uh, and and yeah. So from a decision making standpoint, I definitely have concerns. I think Jax is also uh, a bit higher on on his face up scoring potential, which I I do get to an extent. He is very coordinated with the ball. But I, I I don't think I've seen like really advanced dribble moves for him or anything along those lines. I mean, is, is that something you see you see coming, Jax?
2: I think I think his foundation of ball handling is good enough, and I, I I think it'll be even more. I think what what I really like is his quick first step for a big. Um, there was one play I watched. I was watching the Washington State game uh, from either December or early January, and he had a couple of just viciously quick steps from the baseline where he was torching his man. And granted, I think his defender was Jeff Pollard, who wasn't any type of NBA level athlete or, or big man, but um, just that quick first step. And I think he's, his dribble is low enough to the point where I think he kind of understands how to combine the quickness to maybe ma- to maybe compensate for not a great handle in terms of crossovers or, bend or things like that. Um, and so I, I just buy it enough. I understand that's the handle. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's great overall. It's not, it's not like a bam at a bio level handle and people kind of comp those guys a lot. Um, but, but I, I have enough confidence in conjunction with his quick jumping and that, that really quick first step that I I think he'll be at least able to leverage himself as an individual scorer against, against most matchups. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at. And I and I think all the criticisms both of you, primarily Max, have offered are, are valid. I just buy a lot of what he's able to do and like the potential uh, of a player who fills a lot of different gaps on both ends and has some self creation upside that we don't necessarily think of with a with a guy who's a rim runner uh, traditionally.
0: Yeah, and I will I will say if if he can find his way to the rim, I think I do trust him as a like the the length concern is real. That you know, maybe NBA length will hamper him. But people said that about Brandon Clark, and that hasn't been a problem. And and Onyeka does not have the top end vertical that Clark does, but it's the same sort of just effortless leaping that he gets off the ground so quickly. And I think that these guys who know how to maneuver on the interior have pretty translatable interior scoring. And I think that's very much the case for Onyeka, where you'll see it in the in the post, he has I, I'd say very good footwork. Um, but you see it in, in unstructured situations too, where he'll get an offensive rebound and he just seems to have some, some like preternatural sense for just how to maneuver on the interior, a great just feel for, for where to put his feet. And I think that, um, that he's just, he's a guy that knows how to maneuver in like in contested areas and will be able to create angles for himself to use, you know, his tremendous touch with both hands. I mean, it like, it really is. It's it's hard to tell when he's working on the interior if he's a lefty or a righty because it, he's just so good with both hands.
1: Yeah, and that, like I said, th- that touch with both hands is just ridiculous. I mean, it seems like he's probably going to shoot for that reason. I mean, I, I, it seems hard for me to buy that he won't be at least like a passable spot up shooter, which is definitely like a very important consideration here that if he can just like hit pick and pops hit, hit pick and pop threes um just like if he can space that's that's so big for his upside i mean just just having having in conjunction with his ability he, he's going to have the score at the rim I mean, just being able to space like that is going to be huge for him so.
2: yeah i would say for me like i am more confident in him being a pretty good shooter for his own scoring upside than i am him really really commanding significant respect which maybe is working against my own argument here, but he does have a little bit of a slow release and he kind of brings the ball out first face. Um, but I don't think it's something that necessarily hinders him from an ability to make threes. It might be something where defenders aren't as quick to close out. Um, but if we're already we're talking kind of these high-end out high end outcomes, I'm not ruling it out of the realm of possibility. And if teams do close out, on we saw that one play against Arizona that pretty much any any guy who's tuned in to, to the draft has seen where he hero-stepped around two or three or whatever defenders it was. Um. So if he's able to put the ball on the floor at all and kind of make plays and is and kind of translate that maybe somewhat growth in short role playmaking, then you're talking about a guy that can really do some damage offensively. Um. And I think that's kind of the place you would reach if he would reach if he if he ascends to his eightieth, ninetieth, hundred percent outcome, which a lot of what is what we've we've talked about so far.
1: Yeah,
0: and Jax was mentioning earlier his his scalability. And I, I guess this is, this is more a versatility thing, uh, and we mentioned that, that he, can, he can survive in a lot of different pick-and-roll coverages, and I think that's really important, because you see in the, in the league uh, nowadays, it's, it really is a game of counters, and so if you have Oneka in a drop, and he's, he's great at that, like I think he's a really good drop-pick-and-roll defender, um, and you start to play against a, a, a pull-up guard... You don't need to bench Onyeka Okongwu when that happens. You can start switching. You can start hedging. You can do whatever because he's mobile. He is big. He is quick off the ground. Like he can he can survive or not survive. He can thrive in in a wide array of coverages, and I think that will just make life very easy on on whoever is coaching him.
1: Yeah, defensive, um, just defense in general for Onyeka is far from a worry of mine. I mean, like you said, that versatility, his feet. His feet and his just his hip turns changing directions with guards are just so good. I think in the Marquette game earlier in the year there was a play where he went under like two screens and stayed with Marcus Howard and blocked his. I don't love his Marcus Howard, but and like blocked his floater. I mean, he's just ridiculously quick for a guy at his size, and he's so nimble, uh, moving north south and drop defense. So I think it really is an advantage for him. I mean, he can he can track back and break up lobs as well as he can step up to stop pull up shooters and like you said I think he's he's just going to be so so insertable into any defensive system a guy wants to run I mean you don't want to play him at the 4 cause, but I think if you had to in a pinch he could even make that work too I mean I mean he's got that level of mobility that he's going to be able to stick with some guys in a softer less like less res- I guess le- a defense where he's less responsible for guarding on the perimeter so yeah, yeah and I think, I think oh, you
2: got one ahead. of the things that it's really impressive for me, is, you know. A lot of times we talk about team context. You know, a guy like Anthony Edwards, is not very good. UNC, Columbia they're not very good. But con- like USC is not a very good team, and he is still incredibly dominant. That's more of a a broad idea, but I think there is some general validity to the idea. He's been so productive for a freshman big man, and he does like doesn't really have anyone who's a Pretty good pick and roll player. Ethan Anderson's okay, but I think his decision making isn't anywhere close to what you'd want from a lead guard. And then there's like games where they just, or sequences and games where they just kind of forget about him in the post. Like they'll lose games because they don't throw him the ball in the post for six straight possessions. Um, and so that generally, his able, his ability to thrive despite a suboptimal team contact is something that's really impressed me and put up pretty historic numbers in terms of his, his BPM and things like that and just be so efficient and average 16 and 9 and 2 and. One or whatever, it really impressed I mean, that's just kind of a broad thing, but it still carries a little bit of weight for me in terms of how I evaluate him as an overall player.
0: Well, I think the production is important though, and and some of it stems from motor. He is a, a really really good motor, and he probably doesn't get enough credit for it because of like his posture is very um i don't know it's not it's not imposing it doesn't really look like he's he's always 100 percent engaged and i think that that was something that kind of fooled me watching him in high school in aau where where it seemed like he didn't always care because of just like how he physically carries himself but i don't think that was the case i think that that was that was an aesthetic bias there um where this guy actually plays incredibly hard like he's a beast on the offensive glass uh he's he just is a guy who tries really really hard and for big men that matters a
1: ton yeah, I mean, he's going to – yeah, he, he, like you said, he's not a guy who's going to – I mean, he has mental lapses. I mean, he, he's definitely not perfect in his pick-and-roll positioning, and he has, like, a few – like, yeah, like I think we said, I think um, he's not that he, – he's an instinctual rim protector, but he's not as elite as he might seem just because he's so incredibly quick off the ground, and he just covers so much ground as a rim protector. But, yeah, he, he really tries, and he he flies across the – across the interior and he, he is gonna he his that motor is really good
0: yeah i mean we, we've <laughs> addressed anyaka in in pretty solid depth uh should should we move on to um to the guys that have that have caught our eye recently
1: yeah, I think so. And before we do that, let me just say that we are again sponsored by Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com/team today and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com/team that is simply that is simplysafe.com/team. So all right. Now, yeah, let's move on to some guys that have been catching their eye lately on film. So Max, why don't you go first?
0: Okay. Um, so I finally watched some Mountain West conference recently, and I feel like an idiot for not watching it earlier because Mountain West basketball apparently is awesome. Um, I guess I'll start with, um, I'll start with the Boise state guys. Uh, so my, uh, the reason I, I wanted to watch Boise state was, uh, Derek Alston who was showing up in lots of stats queries and, it's a 6'9 or 6'8 forward who can theoretically dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, but the guy that popped to me when I was watching Boise State was Justinian Jessup. He's a senior listed at 6'7. There is no way in hell that that man is 6'7. Uh, probably like a 6'5, six, 6'6, six, six, super skinny off guard. But my lord, he can shoot. Um, just gorgeous lefty mechanics, super compact and quick. Uh, but what's interesting is he, he's got some ancillary skills to him. Uh, he can create some space off the dribble. He can like string together a, through the legs and a step back and make some guys look really silly. Uh, he can pass a little bit out of pick and roll. I'm not wild about his decisions, but he's not going to be doing that in the NBA. And just as a guy who who can be trusted to to make decisions, uh, you know, attacking closeouts and whatnot. Uh, I think he he can be good in that role. Uh, like I mentioned it physically, it's, it's bad. Uh, he's a senior. He's really skinny. He's incredibly slow. Uh, I don't know about wingspan, but uh, I mean, in spite of that, he's a pretty competent college defender. I would say uh, like, it will be a problem in the NBA, but uh, he is smart. He, he knows, he knows what he's doing. He beats guys to spots. Like he he's fine uh, in college uh, that there's no way that translates. He also for a senior is, um, is pretty young. He, he's 21 until, till the end of May, I think. Uh, and just, I, I think that there might be an element potentially of low hanging fruit with him, uh, with respect to the strength, because Boise state seems to have a lot of these older guys that are still really physically underdeveloped. And maybe that's just selection bias that their, their recruits are, are, you know, lesser, uh, Lesser physically and and aren't capable of adding that mass. Yeah. But I do wonder if you get him into an NBA strength and conditioning program, if he's a guy who can bulk up uh, to the point where you can make use of this just like ridiculous off screen shooting and off the dribble shooting. Because uh, you know he's got he's got some size, he's got some ancillary skills, and he's got ridiculous shooting, and that that is a very very valuable com- uh, combination in the NBA.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned Derek Alston as the pass dribble shoot guy. When well, I mean, the real pass dribble shoot guy is Jessup. I mean, yeah. Alston can't really shoot, and, he, and he's a fine passer, but he's got quite a few limitations everywhere, as, as Jessup has got, got all three for sure. And you mentioned that you didn't love his decision-making. I was actually pretty high, um, a little bit higher on his decision-making, it seems like, than you, um, especially in the Boise State at Utah State game. I know you watched the other Boise State-Utah State game. Mm-hmm. At least in that one, um, his decision-making was pretty great. Um, there was a play that stood out to me. There was, I think, two seconds left on the clock. He was double-teamed, and he – and he passed back for a wide open three that the guy didn't shoot for whatever reason, but he, he really did seem to hunt the right shot, and I, which is funny, because a lot of the time, the best shot they're going to get is just Jessup shooting, because of how incredible a shooter he is. I mean, also, like, I wanted to ask you about what you think about his, his free throw jump, because he's at 95% this year, which is wild, but in his th- first three seasons of college, he didn't eclipse uh 70- 80% once, so what do you make of that? I mean, he's the shooting seems very, very legit on tape. So I don't think he's worry about that. But what do you make about such a drastic free throw percentage jump like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be skeptical. The thing is, he's always just been a very low free throw attempt guy. And I I mean, just watching that shot, it's gorgeous. It seems like he's a bit of a of a streak shooter, but I mean, I trust those mechanics. They're really pretty. Um and it's funny that you mentioned that that he was good out of traps because the one of the things that I noticed was that he was I have in my notes a couple times that he was trapped and it was just like truly horrific like threw the ball directly to the other team. It's really funny. Just it shows you that you know, your sample of games it drastically <laughs> affects your your uh, impression of a guy. This
1: is why we watch games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um,
2: so I've I've seen a little bit of Jessup. I would note you say you talk about the free throw thing. The fact that he's up to ninety five percent got his career percentage over eighty two. Uh, and so he was at 41 from 382 from the free throw line. That's a guy who was just given his mechanics too as a guy who's going to shoot. So like Max said, really small sample. but It's just over like 100 career attempts going into his senior year. Now he's up over 82% for his career. So in conjunction with the three-point percentage of the mechanic, that's a guy who's just – wherever he ends up in the league, uh, in whatever league he ends up, that's a guy who's going to be a, a really good shooter. So yeah, I have, uh, I, I wouldn't so really worry about no it. No
1: doubt that Jessup's going to shoot, I, th- I think at least
0: should should we give Alston a bit more uh time than just saying that we don't like him
1: <laughs> i mean yeah I, I i saw someone on twitter i can't remember who it was was like saw that they bought him over jaden mcdaniels and it was it was
0: it was francis uh been thrifty suggesting that maybe that you could make the case yeah. which i i disagree right, with yeah. pretty francis, strongly
1: great smart guy do very disagree as i mean as much as i think all three of us are on the anti jaden train but at least jaden is bigger it was just saying something and he's probably a better defender. I mean when you definitely for sure a better defender. I mean when Jaden's bigger than you, you you know you've got an issue. And I just often <laughs> he's just so skinny and the awareness is so poor on defense. Like I just he, he seems totally untenable to me there. I mean you mentioned the, the, the strength and conditioning, but I, I mean that's not something I'm willing to bet on with anything more than like a, a uh, like a two way flyer for him. I mean
0: yeah, I mean his his awareness is like Rui esque at times, where he'll just he'll watch guys just go right by him to the rim. Uh, I I would like at, at very first when I when I tuned in, I was like, okay, this guy is 6'9 and handling handling and pick and roll like this. This is pretty interesting. Um, but the more I watched, the the more I was out on him. Uh, like what what I will say for the for the passing is he does have these. He'll run pick and roll and he'll he'll dime up the weak side or he'll hit like a lifting shooter on the wing and it looks really impressive, but I'm a little suspicious that these are was something that Jackson was was talking about a little earlier where they're they're like drilled in. I when Ben and I were talking uh, before the show and I called them learned reads where someone just tells you, you 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 do X and the corner is going to be open and just throw it over there and you don't really need to like check or, or manipulate or anything like that. And I think that's becoming increasingly common. Uh, and I had a couple clips up, up on Twitter of, of Alston, uh, making some pretty impressive pick and roll passes, but at least like one of them was very clearly scripted where there was, there was Jessup coming off of a, a pin down on the weak side. And he was clearly supposed to hit him, hit him lifting to the wing. Um, so I think that his passing is a little fake, uh, like there's some functionality there, but, uh, I don't, I don't entirely buy it as like some out, some, some outlier skill and I feel like the the lack of functionality also applies to his dribbling, because he can actually create space off the dribble, uh, like in some at sometimes like in a really impressive manner. But uh, he can't do anything with it. His shot is too slow, and I mean for that matter, I don't buy the shot at all. It's like set like way behind his head, and uh, is really just like a slingshot with his arms. So he's a theoretical dribble pass shoot guy who I'm not entirely sure can do any of the three. Um, so he, you know, he, he might be a guy worth taking a look at. There are not a lot of guys who are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and can sort of dribble, sort of pass, and sort of shoot. Um, but to me, there are just a lot of guys who are who are better bets in this yeah, class. And I'll
1: make, I'll make one more quick point on the passing. I think both of us, um, like we watched, Max and I at least watched three games in total. I don't know, you can comment on this, Jackson. I don't think either of us have ever seen him hit the roll in the pick and roll. I think that's just another point for the scripted reads case that he's just not instinctual of a pick and roll passer. I think he's, it's probably something that's been drilled in practice and he's practiced these same reads over and over. And he's probably watched his film on these coverages that's going to have, that's going to get these guys like Jessup open on the weak side. And even like, even when he does hit skips, a lot of the time the the processing speed is pretty slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've seen any roll hits from him, Jackson, but
2: no I, I mean i i have i can't like nothing comes to mind so i'm sure i've maybe one or two but um and i've only watched maybe a couple of boise state games this year um just enough to kind of familiar familiarize myself with with uh alston and, and jessup but um yeah i would agree that a lot of stuff those the front the language i use is just premeditated just kind of for those reads um yeah there'll be times where like the shooter won't quite open and he'll make that read and you're like, well the role man like if you just, like looked at the role man, you would have had an easy layup um and things like that. So yeah I, I would agree with most of your points. Um I don't really have any other nuance to add, but yeah, I mean he, he isn't even as functionally strong as Jaden McDaniels and he is a junior and Jade McDaniels is a freshman who can't get past or post up six four guards. Um the thing that I, I wonder is if Yudoka has a bouquet with standing in the paint and Jaden McDaniels and Terry Alston ran as fast as they could together because they knock him over is the thing that's most of my um, And I'm just not sure either one of them could. So uh, that just speaks to Are the lack of together? functional strength. Yeah, yeah, they run together. They try yeah. and push him over. I don't think they could do it. I think they they, they if they made contact with Azabuki at the same time, nothing would happen.
1: That should be a combine drill. Can you knock over Yuoka Azabuki?
0: <laughs> I think they yeah. would have to be cleaned up off of the court.
2: And <laughs> yeah, they're no longer <laughs> problem. Because they're treated the the ICU, yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, he's just like really smart, elite shooter, uh, like pretty shifty. Um, he's yeah, he's, he's just a really good player. Uh, I'm pretty confident in him as like an NBA backup point guard. And like Ben and I mentioned on the first podcast, we're not you know super in on on those guys as having a ton of value in the draft. Uh, and I don't know that I'd that I'd necessarily draft Flynn, but um, he's really good. And uh, size will be a problem. He, he just won the the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, which is you know, nonsense kind of as a ridiculous. six one point guard. Uh, but he he like Nico kind of beats guys to spots. He um he makes plays off the ball. He's, uh, he's pretty smart. He, he's off really, the ball, man. yeah. I mean, he's really calculated. I remember this this one play where. Where he just he like read where the defenders were and that a spin was gonna have to be coming from Alston and then just picked his handle and ran it out for a layup and it was it was spectacular. Um, oh, and how could I forget his his runner game is like best in college basketball. It's so so good. His touch is amazing and he's really crafty with it. Like there was this one this one clip that I had from. Uh, I think Fresno State game where he, he he dips his shoulder and he he knocks the guy back and the guy is off balance and can't jump and he he t- you know does that in conjunction with taking off and there's just no way to contest his his runner even though he's six one and it's an it's an easy two for him. Uh, he's highly efficient on those on a good volume. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he's going to work in the league as a as a backup point guard and and uh, just also just enjoy watching him play. He's just a really really fun guy to watch play basketball.
1: Yeah,
2: and yeah, I, I, he's, he's a joy. Uh, yeah, I don't have I don't much on that. I think you hit a lot of it, but yeah, really good passer. Um, the shooting indicators are awesome. Uh, really good pull up shooter. I and I think that you talk about kind of the spin move. I was watching the Utah State game last night, and there was a move where uh, Nemius Keda tried to like, who obviously is a very slow mover and processor, but um, like spun and Flynn just timed the the rotation perfectly and snagged the steal and. Went down and had a pull-up three. Um, So, yeah, he's been really fun to watch this year. And and I would agree that, yeah, I I, I buy a lot of his just being a good, solid ball handler you can trust. um, He has a three-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio this year. Um, That bears out on film, too. It's not like he's – and he he takes risky passes, too. It's not like he's just making the simple passes and trying to preserve his his numbers or anything. Um, So, yeah, I've been really impressed with him. And um, I think the burst is probably good enough in certain cases to – Get to the rim. I, I don't think it's anything exquisite. You guys talked about Tyrell Terry last. Tyrell Terry last week. Talked about Nico Mannion a little bit. I think it's definitely better than both of those guys. So I at least I at least him envision having some pick and roll diversity. It's not just going to be a guy who relies entirely on the pull up or hitting the hitting the roll man of the weak side shooter. He's going to be able to get to the rim a little bit. Um, yeah, pick and roll, which is valuable.
1: Yeah, and I think he's like to make up for that burst. He's really technically pretty great as a driver. He gets super low to the ground on his crossovers. He's great at using his shoulder to kind of leverage guys and get by them and get to the spots and he, i mean as long as he can get to that runner like you said he's he's so good with that runner i mean he's shooting um 40 he's shooting 44.2 percent on 43 runners so not a small sample quite good and like you said the touch and like he's got legit deep range too i don't think that's been mentioned he hit like a couple catch and shoot threes at 30 or so feet in the game in the one game i watched so but yeah I, he seems super super viable as a backup point guard it's just I'm not sure I really buy him as much more than that, and I guess that's why I'd probably be lower on him. My like kind of crazy galaxy brain take is I think I'd, I I think I'd rather have Matt Mitchell as a long-term prospect um, than Malachi Flynn. I don't know what you think about that. Think
2: he's I'm a funky guy. I don't. He's just like kind of weird, and he uh, can kind of hit those little like mid-range stepbacks, and he's strong enough as a driver. Um, I don't have a great feel for his defense yet for whatever reason, which um, doesn't quite really pop negatively or positively for me. But uh, yeah, Matt Mitchell is definitely interesting to an extent, but. The one thing I will add about Flynn is, even though he's 6'1", I do kind of like his frame. I feel like he has pretty wide shoulders, I feel like he uses his like that that width up top to at least kind of get to his spots at times against guys who maybe will kind of stay in front of him. Um, but yeah, just come back to Mitchell. He's he's funky. I don't have a ton to add other than kind of a, like a step back in this game, even though he's kind of unorthodox with it, but can dribble well enough at his size that um, enough to be intrigued and continue watching. Uh, and following him specifically as I, as I watch uh, Flynn, San Diego State, the rest, of the, the rest of the year and up until the draft.
1: Yeah, I'll say I agree on the frame point. He's definitely pretty sturdy is the word I'd say. And I think yeah, that helps it him too. on his drives too. I mean, comparing him to a guy like Terry, who I don't know if I agree that like from a slick like, catch, I think Terry's burst is pretty comparable, but he's so weak in the lower body that he just gets knocked off the ball and knocked off his path by guys. Where Malachi's got, got the lower body strength to kind of, holds up and he's bumped so I think that's a big part of his driving game and yeah um, Matt Mitchell I mean he's he's so he's so funny like jokingly you said in in the pre-recording that he's like if you gave PJ Tucker like a pull up but (laughs) I mean he's that's obviously not yeah Yeah, just just frame wise for anyone who's not actually (laughs) team defense wise (laughs) not not nearly as good as PJ Tucker don't worry (laughs) but yeah I mean he's just like with his I mean he moves really well and even though he's pretty pudgy and we love our fat upset guys. I mean, if he can turn some of that, turn some of that pudge into legit muscle, that's athletic improvement. I like this passing. When I watched his handling coordination, in the open floor was really good. He brought up the ball very often, but whenever he got into a tight space, he turned the ball over. I think he must have had like five ball. Controls yeah, it could be a little. Uh, I yeah. um, long a term, I, Matt Mitchell is a guy to watch. Yeah, I'm mean,
2: interested because he's at forty percent from three this year and eighty-six percent of the line. So when he comes back, i will be interesting to see if that's actually sustainable if he kind of falls back to his median of thirty-six and eighty from three-point range and for the line.
0: Yeah, and he is despite being I mean, he is he is quite pudgy. Um, but despite that, he's really nimble. Like he he's light on his feet, he moves well. So I do wonder if if he could ever get the weight under control uh it, it is interesting to think what he could be especially if we can harness that strength because i mean he's already he's really like strong right now like he'll dislodge guys on drives um i'm interested long term this year i think flynn is definitely a better prospect yeah and i think long term i'd still i'd still take flynn because i i do i do think flynn is going to be a player in the league um but yeah mitchell he's he's an intriguing long-term guy for sure and we
2: should say long-term is just 2021 because he is a junior. Yes. So, yeah,
1: <laughs> so it, it's, not
0: that it's
2: just 15 months away or whatever, but yeah, still, I mean, long-term in this, in the sense we're talking about.
1: All right. So why don't we move on to Jackson? Is there a guy that you'd like to share that you've been watching recently that you want to talk about? Yeah.
2: The, the guy that I've been a fan of for probably a few months now, and I know I'm not the first Olympian wagon or anything is uh TCU senior guard, Desmond Bain. Um, the easiest way to, before I dive in is just a really, really good basketball player. Um, he's in his senior year, like I said, 43% from three uh, for his career, 80% from the line. Uh, he has a three-point rate of, uh, let me grab it here, of uh, 43%, almost 44%. So he's shooting a lot of them, and he's an on, he's doing a lot of on the ball, so you know he's not actually, he has a pretty good shot profile there. Um, really good uh, pick-and-roll pattern, a lot of craft there, can make the weak side skips because um, he's a really strong player. So he's able to kind of rifle those passes across the, the court. Um, and maybe the first couple of games I watched, I thought some of it was premeditated. Like I thought, we've talked about that a lot today, but I thought he kind of just expected plays to be open. But um, in some recent games, I've seen some more nuance and understanding. There was a play uh, I was watching this morning, the game uh, against Kansas on Tuesday. And uh, he made a pick and roll going right. Devon Dotson uh, crashed down and tagged the roller. And the way, he, the way Bane, like, he put his arm angle at this this spot that may, would make it seem like he's going to throw a really far pass across the court. And so Dotson started retreating back to the shooter, his man, and then Bane just dropped it off to the roller and it was an easy dunk or layup or something, uh, which to me was just really impressive because for a while I had maybe kind of thought, like I said, a lot of it was just kind of learned plays. Um, but that type of thing, to put his arm at this angle that would suggest he's going to throw one pass to trick a smart off-ball and team defender like Devon Dotson the way he did really stood out to me. So Ben's a guy I buy as a secondary ball handler um, because he can make those passes. He's a really good pick and roll guy. Uh, ranks in the 93rd percentile as an off the dribble shooter this year, according to Synergy. He's at 43% from three for his career um, in four years. Um, is pretty slow as a player and can't really jump and is very right-hand dominant. Um, but he does so many things well as an off the dribble shooter, and so good at kind of getting craft, being crafty, and getting open off the dribble, um, and has fairly solid off screens and off movement as well. That I buy him as a guy. I have uh, ranked twentieth on my board, um, and so I understand the flaws. But I mean, if he could get to the rim and finish there better, um, he's a guy we're talking about as a potential lottery given his potential lottery pick, given his baseline skill set as a as a scorer and passer.
1: Yeah, and I'll say I. I have been a bit lower on his overall decision making and the passing. I haven't seen as much of that, but I will defer to the numbers. I mean plus assisted attorney, plus one um ATO every year, one point seven this year. And I'll definitely defer to you guys who've watched more. I mean, definitely those flashes of pick and roll potency are there, and he's just such a ridiculous shooter. I mean, he's ninety uh, third percentile in off ninety third percentile in off triple jumpers per synergy. I mean he's got he's got deep off movements he I'm not crazy about his handle but he's a pretty good space creator and he's just an absolute truck I mean he's he's thick as hell he's huge and yeah you I, talk I about the,
2: the space creation the handle isn't great but he has such good lower body strength he's able to create separation with his lower body on those step backs and stuff um, but yeah I think the decision making is a fair point that's there's a lot I mean I've watched a lot of Bane, release, Bane recently so there's a lot of thoughts swirling in my head but the decision making is something that I do think uh, is Probably closer to a flaw than it is a, a as a than a pro uh, or a strength kind of kind of right in the middle there for me. Um, but yeah, he can kind of get trapped at times, uh, jumping in the air or, or getting a weird spots in the lane um, because he doesn't have a lot of burst. Um, but but yeah, he's just a guy I've been a really big fan of, and a guy who is an M, probably about an NBA caliber athlete, especially strength wise. Um, I think that's going to help him a lot. And is a forty three percent three point shooter and a solid enough team defender is someone that I want to invest in uh in the mid 20s or so uh 20 would kind of be i think he's in my fourth tier, which goes as high as like 16 or 17 um i don't recall exactly off the top of my head but just a guy that i that i buy into and his bpm is uh around bar Torvics at nine on college Basketball reference references at 10 so a guy who's making an impact too which i think is always important especially as a senior
0: yeah i i think bane is is awesome uh i'm a very big fan Primarily because he is like he really is a lethal shooter. Like I, I that cannot be stressed enough. Off the dribble, off movement, 66 uh,
2: six six, six, Yeah, two, yeah.
0: So. I will say I don't think the strength is as functional as it looks. You know, he's not a guy that's dominant around the rim. You know, he's not Isaac Okoro like dislodging guys at the rim and finishing like a beast. Um, so I think that that's a little deceptive when you just look at him. He doesn't really play how you think. Uh, when you look at him, nonetheless, I really like him. I think he's going to be an NBA player, and uh, th- I mean, he's just like he's about as good a shooting bet as there is. Yeah,
2: I will, I, I will add that. You, so the the strength thing, I think, is is very much warranted. Uh, yeah, he's a little more aesthetically strong than functionally, but the thing I think he does use his strength well is in those pick and rolls. Even though he's not super quick, he's able to use a screen and get the defender on his hip, and then once he can. Create any sort sort of shift in the defense. He has those skip passes down and that manipulation down. That's the place I think I see his strength manifest the most on the ball. In addition to those step backs I alluded to earlier. Um, but yeah, it's not. He he looks gigantic, but he isn't quite. He's not where nowhere near as functionally strong as a guy like Grant Williams. Yeah. Um, I mean, are you thinking
0: Are you thinking like Carson Edwards style space creation where he can where he can really just like especially? Well, I mean, it's not. I mean, it it has been in the mid range mostly, where he can he just like really throws guys off of him with just like he's just this massive human being, and and it creates space in a in a weird way that you don't usually see.
2: Yeah, that that's kind of what I envision. Um, but then I, the the strength I, I think that I'm trying to get, at, or the point I'm trying to make about it is, I think he has some on ball potential because okay. he is six six and is able to use that size to kind of hold off defenders, even if he's not super bursty or twitchy. Mm-hmm um and obviously yeah, i mean i was super high on carson edwards hasn't looked well at all this year uh so far but obviously bane is a uh, a lot taller um Very good. Not a shorter wingspan unfortunately than carson edwards <laughs> but um the sheer ability to be taller and he has a pretty high release point which i think helps as well um and it's pretty succinct in the mechanics so um yeah a lot to like about bane uh i understand maybe people been a little lower but um, if you're an NBA draft guy and you're an NBA draft person, you're listening to this and haven't watched any of him, he's someone I would definitely recommend because he has a lot of potential as a top 30 guy.
1: Yeah, and one quick last point. Um, you mentioned um, being high on his on-ball because of the strength. I was actually going to make a point of being higher on his off-ball because of his strength because <laughs> I think a, a, like a lot of his issues with getting to the rim are just not being wild about his burst and his handle because he can't really get to spots where he can use his strength to dislodge guys. But when he's able to run off movement and force hard closeouts and attack that way, he's going to be able to get free runs into guys and just be able to use his strength to get into guys that way where he can build up momentum and kind of just plow through guys because there's a, a lot of defenders just aren't going to be able to handle him when he gets there, and that's definitely going to be – yeah, uh, yeah. I think his utility is really going to be as uh, just this this awesome off-ball shooter with um, – some some secondary playmaking or tertiary playmaking equity and who can hopefully finish better than he has in college. So yeah. Yeah, but I'm I mean, not yeah, I'm not
2: like I don't think he's gonna be a huge on ball guy, but I think there's enough there and like I mean I haven't 20th, so I'm not it's not like I have an eleventh and I'm like, oh I need him to run the offense a lot. But yeah, I think there's enough there where he can with the pull up and at least getting guys on his hip in pick and roll situations that he can have some type of on ball value. Um but I would agree that most of his value is going to come off the ball um, seems like we all like him, which I think means he's probably like our second range prospect at this point, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. So I wanted to talk about Jalen Smith, uh, Maryland sophomore big. And I wanted to talk about him kind of separating himself from the pack of replaceable, kind of basic uh, rim runner big types. And that's the thing we talked about, I think, last episode we touched on, and we'll continue to, continue to harp on this in the future. Just Just valuing these replaceable uh big guys who who can even protect the rim a bit. uh rim run there's just so many of them um in the undrafted pool on the free agent market you can go to the euro league and get these guys so when you're looking at drafting bigs in like the second round um if you're going to spend that kind of draft capital on uh, a big man over someone like a wing who like getting wings on team friendly contracts is huge you wanted to have some sort of special skill and jalen smith has shown that this year and he's The perimeter skill improvement he's shown this year is pretty wild. I mean, he's 6'10", and he's shown some pretty legit off-movement shooting as well as some ball handling and passing. I mean, he's sprinting off movement to his left and his right, and and hitting threes and and there was one play that really stood out uh, against michigan state i was watching the other day where he um they ran a blob and jalen smith uh goes to the corner cassius winston who's guarding the impounder i believe it was cassius helps and then smith just makes a lightning quick decision down to the the inbounder for a dunk and like i mean how many 610 nba guys have the movement shooting gravity to force help and make a quick decision out and I think just that level of perimeter school I mean he's not like a super dynamic handler but he's got enough to attack a closeout and and finish like and finish uh against a bigger player and I think just that's a guy who I want to take a swing on because there's there's real value there in just a, a guy like that who's a perimeter oriented big I mean there's worries with his his his, his, his decision making on offense and some of the defense but I think just that perimeter skill is super valuable with him to take somewhere like early in the second round for me at least
0: yeah I worry a lot about the defense um because he's so weak and his he's like his hips are so skinny and like he just his, he can't move he's very upright um the one thing uh, that he does do well, like that you wouldn't expect uh, in spite of of his slender frame is that he's very good at, at creating leverage, uh, especially defending the post. Like in that Michigan state game, there was this one possession that he just stonewalled uh, Xavier Tillman in the post. And that is one of the strongest dudes in college basketball. It was just kind of eye popping, but I worry a lot about, about Jalen Smith on defense for, for as much as, as he is an intriguing offensive big man. Um, and one thing that you didn't mention that I think he does deserve credit for, and I know Jackson and I have talked about this before, is that he has just like really a good feel for for like soft spots in the defense on offense where he just he'll he'll dive and, and, and cut into 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 space and he'll just create angles for passes and just quickly finish. Um and it's I mean it's a hard skill to quantify and, and kind of kind of vague, but uh but he's really good at it. Um so yeah, I, I agree he's he's pretty interesting offensively. I worry a lot about
2: what range do you guys each have them in, just so we kind of know where where we're arguing from or debating
0: from?
1: I have Jalen Smith I have in the mid, Smith, um, like ha, low thirties. Uh, yeah, okay. mid
0: mid forties for me. Okay,
2: yeah, I have them low thirties as well. So I I would lean more toward Ben. Um, yeah, the defense I think is an issue to an extent, um, but yeah, I think that the the shooting is pretty impressive and the feel for the game. Or the feel for just opening, moving the pockets of space, uh, as Max said, I, I think are pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think everything said here is very much warranted. Um, it's just kind of the degrees to which you value his defensive shortcomings versus his shooting upside. Um, it just seems like Max values the the defense a little more, uh, whereas Ben is, is higher on the the offense. Um, but yeah, he's definitely intriguing. Has been really, really good this year among a, a awesome front court uh, rot- rotation in in the Big Ten this year.
1: We'll just make Jalen Smith a giant two guard and just see how that goes. Yeah. I think the
2: Sixers are calling right now.
1: <laughs> just run him off a of 30 pin downs all game and just let him just like. The, J- him. the JJ Redick replacement. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out Jalen Smith is the JJ Redick replacement that we've all been looking at. The <laughs> DHO's with you want on bead. <laughs> that would be something. But I mean, seriously, like if he if he's a guy who can even do like have some movement shooting value in the NBA, I mean, just guys that tall who shoot off movement, just are super rare. I mean, just don't, you just don't find them. So there's just, just a guy who's shown that and a guy who has that upside to be like a potential, like legit perimeter guy as, as a big, I mean, despite defensive concerns at all, I think is someone worth gambling on somewhere in the second round. Cause he really does provide uh, avenues to upside beyond just a, replaceable rim rolling big and also plenty of avenues to downside. i mean or yeah
2: the thing i like about you talk about the closeouts i think he does a good job of like protecting his dribble too when he attacks off the closeout. He's not just reckless about it and he kind of has that arm bar out that you're taught from a young age um which maybe is going to be exposed somewhat uh at the next level but um yeah given the, the shooting upside and the, the production he's had at such a young uh, as a sophomore uh is really impressive so um, at least someone definitely worth drafting and has a projectable offensive role. Um, it's just a matter of how valuable that is versus the defense. Um, but like I said, I lean more toward the offense being, being valuable and kind of that maybe a sixth or seventh man role or a fourth or fifth starter.
1: All right. Yeah. So I've got a couple more guys that I want to that we're probably not going to spend as much time on. The first guy is Santiago Vescovi, a freshman point guard at Tennessee. He's like a NBA Global Academy guy who came over at the start of conference play. And he's been he's he's definitely a guy who's caught my eye. I mean, he's just this incredibly crafty, manipulative passer. I think he's he's 6'3". He's not super athletic or anything, but he he's such an incredibly manipulative passer. He he uses his eyes so well to to move defenders in, in midair um out of the pick and roll. He moves weak he moves weak guys weak side guys with his movements. I mean, there was a play against No, it was against Kentucky, I think, where he, he turned his whole body to face um one of his teammates on the wing and then ended up throwing it to the corner anyway. So just having that level that level of passing and I, I mean he's like i think he's at eighty percent from the line on pretty small sample um seems like he's going to shoot him defensively uh being six three not super athletic but he's he's got legit um he's got legit team defense instincts and and he's definitely um pretty anticipatory on that end but any thoughts on the scovy guys
2: I've watched him i've watched him i think one game like a few clips on. Here and there on Twitter, um, I think he's at least intriguing. You said you thought I think really smart player, um, but I, but I'm just more skeptical. I, I just don't think he really reaches the athletic threshold. We have to, you really have to be as an NBA guy um, for my. And granted, I have not seen a ton of them. But that's just my perspective. Um, and then looking at some stats, I think kind of backs it up against top 50 quality teams. He's at 44.5% true shooting. He's at 54% at the rim, 23% on two pointers outside of the rim. Um, so I think there's definitely maybe a role for him in. Uh, I don't know exactly if he can make some athletic gains then then I'll be more intrigued but I am not very intrigued from NBA perspective just because I don't buy him at all athletically Um, but definitely a really talented player in terms of instincts and awareness and ability to kind of uh, make the plays he wants as a passer um, at least it has been fun to watch to an extent but yeah. I just
1: yeah if nothing else really he's a him. guy that is super fun to watch and Tennessee is quietly a team I enjoy watching quite a bit with Viscovi I mean Pons just does some ridiculous <laughs> things I mean he, he does he has some maddening decisions on offense but just I think he had like six blocks against Kentucky I mean anytime they shot near him it just went the other way and like Josiah Jordan James is like kind of a weird 6-6 six, six point guard I don't know. yeah he's funky yeah all right. right so the last guy that i wanted to talk about briefly is a guy that i haven't seen a ton of but has caught my eye um quite a bit it is uh Leandro Bulmaro. he plays for uh barcelona's b team Um also played fib uh fiba unite teams argentina and i think this guy has like a case as the best handler in the class um He's just so ridiculous, stringing together dribble moves. He has the control. Just the way he—I think our our friend Polar on Twitter made the point where he's so good with with stringing together different like dribble dribble heights and dribble speeds. Like he has a little quick one-two dribbles. He he can do high hang dribbles and he changes directions so so seamlessly. And not not only just like beating this guy, but in in the pick and roll, he manipulates well. He has like these he'll have these plays where he'll. Spin back at the perfect time to totally, just totally get the defenders stuck on on the pick and roll guy. And he's definitely got a ways to go. His shooting projection isn't that great. I think mean, he's like a this season this season at Barcelona across all competition, he's shooting under seventy percent from the line, and his his shots a little funky. Um, he's not super strong or super bursty, but just a guy with that handling ability. And he's a pretty good passer for what I'm seeing. I I haven't watched a ton of him, so. Just just definitely got to watch. I know a lot of people who are more more in tune with um, international prospects are big fans of Olmaro. so any thoughts? on?
2: I haven't seen him. I can't, I can't count at all. Uh, he's definitely on my watch list now because of you and other guys who have mentioned him, but I don't have any insights to provide at this moment.
0: Yeah, at the top of my watch list also, but I've not gotten <laughs> a chance to see him.
2: I didn't so, see him at the top of my watch list. Don't be putting words in my mouth. He's on his <laughs> <mouthless>, but they
0: <laughs> Well, he's at the top of my watch
1: list. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, he's definitely an, at least intriguing to, to get me to watch, given all the other players that exist in the basketball world.
1: All right, so anybody else, either of you guys would like to touch on?
0: No, I think I think that covers it. I think we've we've touched on enough guys that have no <laughs> chance of being drafted.
1: Yeah, that's that's gonna be um a theme with this, with this podcast, <laughs> I, I I expect. So yeah. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode two. Jackson, it was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and indulging us with your with your draft takes.
2: Yeah, thanks I, for having me on, guys. it's it's fun to uh come on here and, and talk about this type of stuff.
0: Jackson, do you have anything you'd like to plug?
2: Um, you can find my MBA written con MBA draft written content at uh, Fan Size a Step Back and uh, Dime Up Rocks. I'll have something on Isaac Okoro hopefully in the next week. Or so, um, if you're an Okoro fan, I don't know if I would read it. It'll be a little less uh, <laughs> enthusiastic of him, um, but nonetheless, you can find my work there, and then you can find me posting clips aimlessly into the night on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. It's, it's uh, and it's crazy how follow- it
0: you can follow the pod at uh prep to pro uh pod prep to pro pod on twitter you can follow me at max a carlin where i will also be posting clips until 2 3 perhaps even 4 a.m and you you can follow ben at ben underscore pfeiffer underscore once you
2: guys cater the international market those clips won't be our clips won't be in the middle of the night they'll be middle of the day for people overseas so that's the next step for uh for our brand
0: yeah i guess we got to pivot to to international <laughs> hoops exclusively
1: yeah so we will definitely cover that at some point in the future as we will
0: okay well thank you jackson and uh we'll talk to you guys uh next week
1: see you guys